Hello, folks. We are back on the Boots on the Ground pod alongside Ben Conroy. I am Essex there. Ben, just a few nights ago, Wake Forest men's basketball taking down NJIT in a close battle for most of the game and then going on a late run, wins the game 83-59. First, I feel like the first thing we we have to talk about in terms of this game, without a doubt, P. Fred, P. 20, Parker Fredrickson, whatever you want to call him, but Parker Fredrickson, a career high 19 points, more than doubling his previous career high with Wake Forest, six of seven from the floor, five of six from three point, 26 minutes, Wake Forest plus 25 points on the court when the freshman was playing. A very, very solid game from Parker Fredrickson. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it takes it takes a lot more than just talent for a true freshman like Parker Fredrickson to crack a Steve Forbes rotation. And that's a lot of what Steve Forbes' remarks reflected was that, yes, it was well known when we recruited this kid that he could shoot the lights out. And he finally sort of showed that in the way that we were all sort of expecting and looking forward to him showing six or seven from the field, had a couple nice, you know, had a really nice driving layup in the first half, took some contact there, finished it, showed a little versatility on that. And then just taking really smart, um, well, you know, well, well in rhythm within the flow of the offense shots from three, you know, making five out of six. That's exactly the type of spark that you want to see out of your, your freshman. And I'll take a little credit. I tweeted early in the game after he hit his first three, that it felt like a night to me that he could find his rhythm offensively made me look like a genius. He did exactly that had just a incredible performance. And Fredrickson was one of the first things that Steve Forbes mentioned after the game, because in many ways he was the story of the game. This was the guy that you had your eye on the whole night, led the team in plus minus leading score career high, pretty much, you know, of what you would hope is a coming out party for the kid um, shot confidently played very, very well on both ends of the floor. And I think sort of just, you know, showed that he's really ready to play at this level in a way that, you know, he played well up to this point, but this was, you know, a whole new echelon um, in a different a sort of different type of play from him that we've seen. And, in, in, you know, right before conference play, that's very encouraging before you you move into some of your your more important matchups on the season to see a guy who you knew and you hoped was going to carve out a pretty large role within the offense. You know, as the season progressed to sort of start and make make that leap and, and take that step forward. Yeah, I feel like it was the the Parker Fredrickson release party, kind of as you said. And I'll give you credit, Ben, for calling that one. That was that was pretty sweet that you completely called that performance from Parker Fredrickson. So after the game, both Boopy Miller and Steve Forbes talked about Parker Fredrickson's shooting. Forbes saying that he's got a clip on him. I mean, the, sh- the shooting was unbelievable. We saw it in practice before the season even started. You're starting to see it in the games a little bit, but there's one point I want to highlight before we uh, move a little bit further on to the podcast is a point that Steve Forbes made about Parker not being just a, a one-dimensional player. He is a shooter, but he's not just a shooter. He- he's, I think, really gotten into a rhythm defensively as well. Uh, definitely aggressive on the defensive end. He- you know, one of the things that I love is his ball handling. Uh, he had no turnovers in that game against NJIT the other night. And on the season, Parker Fredrickson's played 148 minutes, just two turnovers. As a freshman, for me, that might be an even crazier stat than the three-pointers. Not to say that the three-pointers aren't something important. I mean, those are critical. Those are a critical part of his game. But the fact that he's, A, picking up more minutes 
and B, not really making mistakes as a freshman in those minutes is massive for the offense. So I think that's just a really interesting stat to point out as well. But Ben, as Parker Fredrickson starting to grow into himself a little bit more this season, started getting some more games under him as a freshman. What is having a guy like him mean for Wake Forest this season? Well, I think just, you know, one of the, one of the stats I've talked about at several points on this podcast is just, sort of how the production for Wake Forest had all just been kind of centered in a couple of places. You know, you had your four guys really where most of the scoring was coming from. Andrew Carr, Booby Miller, Cameron Hildreth, Hunter South, Hunter Salas were responsible for a bulk of the points. And then, you know, in the past two games, you've gotten five Demon Deacons up into that double figures range. You know, it was obviously Efton Reed in his first game back last night as Parker Fredrickson. So with, Fredrickson sort of coming into his own and adding Efton Reed into the lineup. I will say the margin for error on the offensive end becomes a little bit larger. And what I mean by that is we'll get into this a little bit later. Cameron Hildreth did not necessarily have his best night. He was efficient, fine from the field, but he also turned the ball over four times. So didn't have, you know, his best stuff all night. So when, when a guy like Cameron Hildreth, who, you know, traditionally the offense is running through him, he's got the ball in his hands a lot when he is not on, doesn't have his best stuff. You know, Hunter Salas also didn't have his best game, just five of 14 from the field. So when the, when one or two or both of those guys aren't having their best stuff to have a guy like Parker, Parker Fredrickson, a guy like Efton Reed, whoever else it might be, come in and provide that spark where maybe you hadn't received it in that sort of quantity to that point, really just allows you to be a more complete team, a, a more deep team, a team that's harder to prepare for. Um and especially, you know, in a game where Wake Forest looked pretty lethargic, I thought, throughout the first half and part of the second half against um, an NJIT team, which is not really up to snuff metrics wise. And I do not think will end up being very good this season um, to sort of have that play out the way that it did. Sort of just, you know, makes you more encouraged that there are guys there to pick up the slack when your heavy hitters aren't able to, you know, throw haymakers in the way that they have in some of Wake's more marquee wins this year. Yeah, absolutely. In our last podcast, Ben, I talked about Wake Forest kind of playing the the beginning of the season with eight fingers, and some of those fingers hadn't been developed yet. It's starting to get there now. Wake's starting to get, you know, the full two hands, getting Afton Reed back. I think Parker developing as a talent, as a threat for this team. As you said, not everyone's going to have their best night every night. You, you mentioned Cam Hildreth with the four turnovers. Hunter Salas also had four turnovers against NJIT. So neither of them really had their best stuff going. And so for Parker to fill that, that void is absolutely massive. And and before we, we move on, just something I was envisioning the other night watching uh, P Fred throw down those threes was just when you get another finger back in Damari Monsanto. I mean, that is a crazy one, two punch from behind three point. I don't know if you play them at the same time. Uh, Steve Forbes loves to play with the rotations, so I think that's that's something that's possible. But if you have those, A, Parker Fredrickson's becoming a guy that you have to prepare for if you're an opposing team. But if you have Damari Monsanto and P. Fred from behind the three-point line and you have to prepare for both of them, I mean, that is, that is that's just crazy. That That's going to be really hard. And Wake has a lot of guys who can shoot threes, too. I mean, obviously those two, but... Cam Hildreth coming into himself from behind the three-point line. Even Zach Keller can drop a few down. Both of his uh, 
made shots against NJIT were from behind the three-point line. Matthew Marsh knocked down a three the first of his career. Uh, crazy play, but Wake's got a lot of three-point depth. Three-point depth, but also just depth in general now with, with those numbers. Uh, so that's going to be something interesting to see, especially as we get closer to ACC play, something I'm going to be keeping an eye on. But anyways, back to the game. I mean, it's so cliche, but it really was a game of runs between NGIT and Wake Forest. So every time the Deeks tried to to push one away, NGIT, NJIT wouldn't let them. I mean, for, for basically three quarters of the game, Wake was just searching for a lead that they could coast to the finish line with, and, and they just couldn't. So before that final run, the, the 14-2 run to close out the game for the Deeks, NJIT had every answer. So Wake Forest goes on a 10-0 run in the first half. NJIT follows with a 7-0 run. Uh, right leading into halftime, Wake was held scoreless for the last two minutes, uh, or for the final two minutes going into the Matthew Marsh three-pointer. But NJIT outscored the team 13-1 to during that stretch. Uh, and then you have the Matthew Marsh, Matthew Marsh three-pointer to bring, uh, move that lead up to six before halftime, which is huge. But then out of halftime, another 7-0 run for MJIT that brought the, the Wake Forest lead as close as three in the second half. I mean, that game was very, very close up until that closing 14-2 run in the final three minutes for Wake Forest to push that one over the finish line. It was touch and go for a little while in the second half, but... Steve Forbes won't be the one to say it because he doesn't really, he's not a huge moral victory guy, even though that game definitely ended up being a big victory for Wake Forest. I mean, winning by the margin that they did is a big win. That's a good win. Uh, but in terms of, of moral victories, I guess, what does a team learn from a game like that for, for Wake, Ben? Well, the what they learn to me is just that no matter who the opponent is. And Steve Forbes talked about this a lot after the game. Someone, he was asked if, you know, a game like NJIT could be viewed as a letdown game after coming off of the two big wins that they had over Rutgers and Florida. And he said he views it in the opposite way. He says, if anything, he prepares more for teams like NJIT just because of how often it happens across the country early in the season where you see a team in a Power 5 conference like Wake Forest lose to, you know, a low... Ken Palm team or a team that's not doing very well in the net like NGIT. So, you know, those those are games that Steve Forbes wants to see his guys go out there and take care of business. In the end, you know, they ended up doing that. You win by 24. It's really hard to complain about that final margin of victory. It won't hurt them in the metrics, I don't think. It'll it sort of keeps them on the trajectory that they had been going, you know, as you, they move closer to conference play. But you know, the lesson for me is just don't play with your food. You know, they the first half was lethargic I thought in a lot of ways sloppy you know Wake wasn't really taking care of the ball Wake had 10 turnovers on the night the stat for me is that in the first half seven of those turnovers happened so in the first 20 minutes Wake had seven turnovers those lead to 13 NJIT points in the first half rest of the game you have three turnovers lead to two points for NJIT so there that right there to me is where the the switch was flipped um it is remarkable to me every time I watch a college basketball game like that how much of how much of a factor taking care of the ball is in leveling the playing field. If you are sloppy with the ball, it can make two teams that have a talent disparity like Wake Forest and NJIT look remarkably close to equal, which I thought is what happened in the first half. Wake goes into halftime with just a six-point lead. They start taking care of the ball in the second half. They extend that lead to 24, and they win. 
A couple other things I wanted to point out about Wake so far this season. I think nine games in now, we have a little bit bigger of a sample size of this team, some things we can look at and start to you know look at as consistencies rather than just sort of blips on the radar. So, so far this year, Wake's played nine games. They rank 10th in the ACC in turnover margin and 10th in assists to turnover ratio and 11th in turnovers per game. Where they excel really is efficiency. They're second in the conference overall in field field goal percentage, just a shade under 48%. Fifth in three-point percentage, they're shooting 36%, about 36.1. So on offense, where they stand out is their efficiency. They're efficient. They're an efficient team. Steve Forbes has said it. They have a ton of different ways they can score. Five guys in double figures the past two games. They take quality shots. They shoot well from two-point range. They have a bunch of guys that can make threes. But do you know what negates efficiency on offense? Turnovers. That is what negates your efficiency on the offensive end is when you give away possessions, when you have your primary ball handlers coughing up the ball, seeing Cameron Hildreth and Hunter Salas cough off the ball four times a piece is not what you want to see moving forward. And again, this is where guys like Parker Fredrickson and Efton Reed come into play and Kevin Miller, guys that are powering the engine when your heavy hitters necessarily don't have their best stuff. So overall, Wake rose to the occasion the second half. They made those halftime adjustments. They saw where they were going wrong. They played much more to their identity in the second 20 minutes and were able to get the job done to go on a big, you know, on a big run, really turn the game on its head the last 10 minutes or so and and put this thing away the way that the metrics thought they would, the way that Steve Forbes is hoping they would. Um, that was the the last 10 minutes of that game was the sharpness out of this Wake Forest team that you are that you saw against Rutgers, that you saw against Florida, and obviously that you want to see as you move through these last couple of, you know, non-conference games and move into conference play, starting with Virginia Tech at the end of the month. Yeah, so that's a really interesting point on the turnovers, Ben. I honestly didn't know that. Um, but looking at how the team turns the ball over, it reminds me a little bit of Wake Forest in the 2021-22 season, that one that came just so, so close to making the NCAA tournament. They had a lot of offensive efficiency. Like they were really good at that, um, but they were also struggled at the turnover. So I think that's, again, something to keep an eye on uh, for the Deeks is how they're able to handle the ball. All the more important why you have a guy like Parker Fredrickson, who is a prime example of not turning the ball over. Boopy Miller, who is in our next segment, not really a big turnover guy. It's, it's definitely something that should be a focus, uh, protect the ball. Uh, but but a really interesting point nonetheless. So I just mentioned him. Boopy Miller, a- another night of leadership on the court against NJIT. 15 points, 7 of 12 shooting, 5 rebounds, 6 assists, a turnover, 2 steals. Ben, it feels like he's really starting to get comfortable in the offense. He's gritty on defense. He's safe with the ball, as I said, one turnover. Makes some pretty spectacular plays around the bucket. He rebounds down pretty well as a guard. There's that overall leadership capacity. I mean, he's starting to feel like, and I talked about this a little bit in the past podcast, but it feels like Booby Miller slowly, A, getting comfortable, but B, kind of turning himself into the, the total package as a ball handling guard for Wake Forest, which is something that really, really excites me for in terms of the future of this team. Yeah, for sure. I think there's so much to be encouraged and excited about. Um, from Boopy Miller's game thus far, you know, another really efficient night on offense, seven of 12 shooting, you know, you do everything that you would hope for in that regard. Also, you know, Steve Forbes talked about it after the game, he was asked, you know, how big of an advantage is it to have a guard like Boopy Miller who can just break the full court press all by himself? And the answer is it's a massive advantage. 
Booby Miller is incredibly fat. He plays incredibly fast and it's very safe with the ball. It reminds me of Tyree Appleby a little bit in that way. Appleby struggled with turnovers, you know, a little bit at different points throughout the year last year, but Booby Miller has that rare combination in a power five guard where he can play incredibly fast, but also still play under control, which is what makes him very hard to defend. He, he gets to the rack remarkably well, I think for a guard of his size, you know, he only played a handful of games last year, but he scored at a very high clip when he was out on the court. So I think Steve Forbes from that small sample size last year, and obviously his performance in years past was able to see that the potential of Boopy Miller to thrive really well within this offense, you know, and obviously the distribution is another thing to, you know, be high on as well six assists. And like you said, five boards, you know, guy can really do it all um, for, you know, a guard of his size. I think he pairs very, very well with Hunter Salas in that backcourt. That's one of the things we talked about before the season is that, the way that those two defend and play offense, you know, pairs very well together. And I think you're seeing how, just how well they pair together so far, you know, nine games into the season. And, you know, just an- another really, really encouraging, efficient game from Boopy Miller when, like we talked about, Hunter Salas didn't have his most efficient night from the field. Obviously did a lot to impact the game in other ways, but Boopy Miller was really sort of, you know, I I like, I think Booby Miller is kind of a, a spark plug type guy. So I like to say, you know, he's kind of powering that engine offensively, sort of moving things forward, getting the ball movement, you know, keeping the offense moving at a fast pace. I think it's really fun and it, you know, makes this Wake Forest seem a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, I think you have a really complimentary group of guards for Wake Forest in, in Booby Miller, Cam Hildreth and Hunter Salas, and then uh, Parker Fredrickson off the bench. I think, and it's been said just by by much more than me, but I think, Wake has one of the better backcourts in the ACC, if not the country, with that group. I think with the way those guys are developing, I think they also just gel together really well. They're different skill sets. And, and I think you, you you see it. You talked about the, defend, uh, the efficiency earlier, Ben, and you look back at the NJIT game, and it's just emblematic of Wake Forest just in a flip of a switch can just hit you hard with the kill shot. Like, they do give up runs. But Wake Forest knows how to put together a good run. And it's not just against NJIT. I mean, they did it with an 18-3 start against Rutgers. Like Wake Forest, when their offense is humming and you have those efficient guards and then a really good front court as well, like that's a team that can punch you in the mouth early. So I think that's a very encouraging thing to see. Now, talked about the backcourt, talking about the front court, you've got an interesting situation right now. So Efton Reed... You know, he had a really good game against Rutgers, really good start to his career with Wake Forest. Same can't really be said about the the game against NJIT. Zero points on 0 for 3 shooting, and he fouled out in 14 minutes. Uh, Some unnecessary fouls there in my book. That was kind of something on the scouting report for Efton Reed, is that there are some foul issues that can sneak up on you. But again, it was his second game with Wake Forest. He hadn't played since... I believe March or April with Gonzaga last season. So certainly still getting his feet under him into to game situations. And I think because of how well he played against Rutgers that, you know, exceeding those early expectations, it may have raised them a little bit at the start from the fan base, from the media, what have you. So I still think it'll take him some time to get into the swing of things, but it's good to have these quad four games, these two quad fours, coming up before you start ACC play at the end of December. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not worried about Efton Reed's outing. You know, you got to remember he's, 
he he sat out for nearly the first third of the season. It was, you know, it 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 just takes some time to get, you know, it's one thing to practice, it's another thing to be going full game speed and full competition, stuff like that. It just takes some time to get your feet back under you. Again, you know, it's not gonna be perfect. Definitely kind of a bummer to when Wake's facing a Q4 team like NJIT for Efton Reed to not be able to stay out there and, and, you know, get some more repetitions, you know, even if he's not shooting the ball well, well or whatever, I think it just is, is important right now to have him out on the floor as much as possible. So he can sort of be rounding into shape, rounding into tip top shape. And again, played fantastic against, against Rutgers, but just to sort of be finding that consistency as you know, the team moves into conference play yeah, I think I think the next two games also will be critical for Efton Reed to sort of just, you know, you, you started out on a massive high against Rutgers. You know, you come out and there's the emotional high of you just receiving your eligibility, you know, in the day or, you know, the, the 24 to 48 hours prior to that game. You're riding a massive emotional high, huge team win. And now comes the part where you sort of just you take a deep breath, settle in, a lot of ball left to be played, you know, sort of figure out how this offense and, you know, this defense works with you in it. I'm not worried at all about that. I think Efton Reed, you know, had showed in that first game out that he's a tremendous talent and can gel tremendously well with this team on both ends of the floor. So yeah, I think it'll, I think it'll take some time just for, for him to, to get back, you know, to, to what we know he can do. And I think that a lot of that will probably take place or you would hope it would take place over the next couple of games, but you know, games like that happen, you know, to the, to the best players. Andrew Carr has struggled with foul trouble at different times this year. You know, when you're, when you're a big man playing a physical brand of basketball, sometimes you're going to commit fouls. That's sort of just how the game goes. Uh, so, you know, obviously not what you would hope for out of Efton Reed in his second game, but definitely not something, at least in my mind, to be worried about moving forward. Yeah. And I think there, there's one thing to be said for fouls. There's another to be said for some of the unnecessary ones we saw against NJIT, I think that's something that just continues or is going to continue to have to work itself out. So just, just a point of growth, I think, but again, second game of the season. And it certainly helps when you have a guy like Zach Keller, who's emerged as a real option for Wake Forest play 19 minutes against the Highlanders, six boards. As I said earlier, both of his made shots for six points, both behind the three-point arc and and after the game I, I we asked Steve Forbes about him and he and he talked about it being a, a big point of opportunity for Zach Keller looking back you know with Matthew Marsh getting that injury in Charleston and Zach Keller having to step up and stepping up against Utah and LSU specifically Wake didn't come out with wins there but Zach Keller certainly was on the positive side of the play and so Steve Forbes said you know when you get the opportunity take it and don't ever give it back up. Uh, so saying that Zach's embraced the role of being a hard plane defender, as he said, or a rebounder, he said that's the Zach Keller that I thought of when we recruited him, which I think was really interesting because it kind of intimates the idea that what fans, media, Steve Forbes, what have you, have seen out of Zach Keller before his major swing in Charleston wasn't really what they were hoping to get out of him. And now they're seeing a different brand of basketball player, which I think is absolutely the case. I think you're seeing a more confident, a more physical center, someone who's willing to shoot the ball, who almost isn't playing as scared or afraid anymore. I think it's, it's almost like when Zach Keller was forced to step up in critical times for Wake Forest, 
it's almost like that light kind of switched on a little bit. And so I think he's actually playing himself more and more with every game, despite having Efton Reed in the lineup and Efton Reed obviously being the guy that you need to have go at the five. I think Zach Keller has absolutely carved himself an important space in this Wake Forest lineup, which if you had told me that before the season started, I would not have believed you. Um, but Zach Keller has absolutely made himself an, an important part of the team. And he, he's just, he's, he's completely changed his game. Ben. Yeah. Essex, I'm really glad you bring up that quote that Steve Forbes said after the game, you know, that, that this is the Zach Keller that we thought of when we recruited him. The other part of that quote is also really interesting to me. And it's something that we mentioned on an earlier episode where Zach, it doesn't always look like when he's out there that Zach Keller has, you know, is playing with the most confidence. And Steve Forbes sort of said that after the game. He said, Zach always plays incredibly hard. There's never any doubt there. But his self-talk, his the way that he communicates with himself, you know, his mental, you know, his his positivity out there isn't always the best. That is one of the areas where he struggles. And that at, at this point is something that looks to be that Zach Keller looks to be starting to correct out there. And I think, you know, like you mentioned, when he was faced with some of those opportunities where like, Zach, it's got to be you out there. Like Matthew Marsh is injured. Efton Reed's not eligible. You're going to need to go in there and give meaningful minutes. I think it just helps Zach Keller to be able to play through some of that uncertainty to sort of have a little bit of a longer leash. Maybe you make a couple of mistakes early. You get into it over the course of the game and then you come through and you make some really big shots. And I think Zach Keller playing well for this team and playing to the best version of himself makes him a huge asset because he can stretch the floor at the five in a way that Matthew Marsh maybe can't as much. Although who knows, Matthew Marsh did come in there and drill a three right off rip coming off the bench, but Zach Keller sort of can space the floor, be a threat. Someone you have to pay attention to on the three point line, I think can be an incredible asset if he can give you 20 points a night and play efficiently and, you know, put up between that six to eight point range and be strong on the boards and just play good, solid basketball. I think if he can, as Steve Forbes said, take that opportunity, not give it back, this Wake Forest team will be much better for it over the course of the year. Yeah, I think that that 20-minute range is, is probably about the right spot for Zach Keller. I think maybe he had to play a little bit more just because of the Efton Reed situation with the fouls. But I think you'll see kind of nearing that 20, maybe that 15 to 20, give or take. But the third slice of the pie for the, for the Wake Forest front court at the five at the very least is, as you said, Matthew Marsh. He did not play against Rutgers, was listed as a coach's decision, did not play, then had five minutes against NJIT, a relatively ho-hum game in the sense that he just had one rebound in those five minutes, but that aforementioned big three was, was a huge one. It was the first one that Matthew Marsh has ever made in a game in his career. We had been told that he could do it. He finally did it. Uh, but I think it was a huge game changer for Wake to extend that lead from three to six going into halftime. I think for the vibes, but also just, I mean, that's a big number, a big change uh, in deficit for NJIT from three to six. That kind of might change how you go into halftime, how you're looking at the game a little bit. And evidently, you know, Wake Forest was able to to pull it away at the end. But for the five minutes for Matthew Marsh, Ben, is that the kind of thing you think we're going to see from him going forward that kind of 15 to 20 for Zach Keller. And then that five for Matthew Marsh, just more as a, a secondary guy to read in terms of size. While Zach Keller is really that change of pace. Yeah. Again, I think it, we we've also talked about this before. I, I think it is going to be still a little bit of a, a game by game thing. 
Um, I think there will be games where Matthew Marsh's services are required off the bench where you need a guy who can, you know, who brings that, that strength, that physicality down low can, can play above the rim a little bit. But, you know, if Zach Keller continues to play well, I, my personal prediction is that it would be just like you said that between, you know, 13 and 20 minutes a game for Zach Keller. And then, you know, maybe between five and 10 minutes for Matt Marsh, all depending on, of course, might have a guy or two get into foul trouble, but at least for the moment, it does appear that Steve Forbes is going with Zach Keller as that secondary five to bring in off the bench. And Zach Keller is playing well. So at that point, why would you not continue to play him if he's playing well and doing all the things that you ask of him? But I do think it's important to note just how critical that three-pointer was that Matthew Marsh came in and hit against NJIT. That was when the deficit got cut to three. That was the point where you were thinking Wake needs to to do something to get the momentum up before halftime so that it doesn't end just on a terrible note where they have been the victim of this 13 to one run on the wrong end of it. And, you know, Matthew Marsh with that guy, he came in relatively cold off the bench. Obviously the first three pointer he's ever take ever made in his career comes off of a a tough look from the corner at a, at a really big moment for this team. So, you know, if, Steve Forbes will find minutes for those guys as long as they're providing value for the team and helping the team win. I think Matthew Marsh, even though he got only five minutes, found a way to help the team win. So I think no reason why there aren't minutes for all three of, you know, the combination of Efton Reed, Zach Keller, Matt Marsh moving forward. It just kind of remains to be seen how exactly all of those minutes will be distributed. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Also, I mean, if if Efton Reed gets into foul trouble in a game, I think that immediately elevates the positioning of Matthew Marsh for that game just because he's a comparable body as opposed to Zach Keller, who I think is a little bit different than Efton Reed and Matthew Marsh in terms of makeup. I think Marsh and Reed at least have that similar size factor. One more thing before we start to to close things out here, Ben. So at the end of the game, I was watching the the Wake Forest bench And I noticed right as NJIT's coach sent his walk-ons to the bench, or rather to the scores table to send them into the game, Steve Forbes kind of looks down the line and and you can see him almost thinking to himself, trying to make a decision, says something to to somebody, one of the coaches on the bench, and and then makes a move for Wake Forest walk-ons to come in. And so that was something that I noted. It was just, why why is that the... I kind of knew the answer in my head, but what was the hesitation there? And I think it it, it truly is coming down to the metrics game. It's something that was a a focal point of my game story after, after the NJIT game is that the metrics game is always going on in the shadows, even when the game is done, like it was between wake and NJIT wake had that game locked up, but Steve Forbes said, you know, that the net, the net specifically, I'm more of a Ken Palm guy myself, but the NCAA, Tournament committee loves net. Um, But so Steve Forbes was kind of explaining to the media that they cap the margin of victory. It's capped at 15, but they don't cap the efficiencies. And so throughout the entire game, you are still wanting to run up points because that's good for your offensive efficiency. Uh, And so like Steve Forbes said, it's like these games, they, they just don't end even when they're technically over. Like when you're throwing walk-ons out there, you're throwing out, you know, these different lineups because you're beating a team by 20. That's a quad four opponent, but you still have to play them hard because the net, the efficiencies are always counting 
And so he said that's a huge flaw in the system, and it's really frustrating to him. And he admitted that if NJIT's coach had not sent his walk-ons to the table, there was no shot his walk-ons were going in that game. And you wouldn't have had Kevin Dunn getting his first career basket at Wake Forest, things like that. Like, it's, it's the state of the game is a little messed up, in my opinion. I mean, the fact that you're beating a, a quad four opponent by 20 basically in the final minute and you have to think about sending your walk-ons onto the court and give, giving a guy like Kevin Dunn, admittedly a friend of the Boots on the Ground family, but regardless, a guy like Kevin Dunn, you have to question whether you can get him on the court so he can get his first career bucket in his junior season. I mean, that's unbelievable to me. So I'm with Steve Forbes in that camp where I think the system is incredibly flawed. Um, it's just becoming too metrics heavy. And I love the metrics in the sense that I love looking at that kind of stuff, but I hate it. And C Forbes kind of said the same thing. He despises the numbers. Um, but talking about them, at least, you know, after we get, get going on my whole spiel, Wake Forest rockets up in net. <laughs> you send the you send the walk-ons out there. Parker Fredrickson jacks up another three-pointer. Kevin Dunn gets his bucket. Wake Forest wins by 24. Wake goes all the way up to number 88 in net, and they are number 59 in Kempom. So interesting thing while I was doing some research into, you know, my notes for this podcast, Ben, Wake has not been that high in Kempom since March 23rd, 2022, which was the end of the near tournament bid 2021-2022 season. It was after Wake Forest lost, and I believe, to the NIT quarters at Texas A&M. And, and at that point, I believe Wake Forest was 32nd in net, and they did, or 32nd in Kempom, rather. And did not make the NCAA tournament, which blows my mind. But anyways, Wake Forest kind of getting themselves back to into the territory of where they were in that 21-22 season. They're starting to set themselves up metrically in a good position going into ACC play. Yeah, definitely. And just you brought up a lot of really good points, I think, when it comes to the metrics and a lot of things I agree with. And it just the you know the the biggest thing that jumps out at me is when I the more I learn about the metric system and the more you know closely I examine it throughout the year, the problem with it is just that it lacks nuance. Like it just it it is unable to account for the nuances that are present in every single game of college basketball that's ever been played. Wake Forest versus NGIT was over long before you know the game actually ended, but the problem is like the computer can't know that when it's calculating all this, and I think that capping the the margin of victory at 15 is an attempt to sort of do that to say like, well, you know, because there's a lot of games that are won by 15 points that are either a lot closer or a lot farther apart than they actually appear. So I think, I think that is sort of an, an attempt to make up for the lack of nuance, but it just, it doesn't like, it just doesn't matter. But one thing I will say is that I think Steve Forbes is adjusting well to this sort of new metrics heavy system. He mentioned after the game that he's that the team subscribes to an analytics company to get you know them all the most advanced, up to date, you know metrics, data, data points, whatever whatever you want to call them, so that they can be on the cutting edge of this stuff. Because I think Steve Forbes is really really tired of metrics keeping his team, you know, out of places where he believes they should be. They don't get an NIT bid last year. When you know there was a very, I think, compelling argument that they should have been in the NIT, and it's tough as a coach because at the end of the day, whether you win the game by one or by twenty, you know you won the game, and all you want to do is just think, let's move on to the next one. We got this win. Let's move on to the next one. But a lot of the time, the computer won't let you do that. 
it's going to punish you for winning a game, which I think as a head coach is the, the hardest part of it to deal with for Steve Forbes. But I do think Steve Forbes is adjusting to it well. Of course, love that he made the decision to send the walk-ons in. Shout out Kevin Dunn, friend of the podcast. Great to see him get his first bucket on a very strong take to the hoop, might I add. Um, but I just think it's, like you said, I just think the game is getting a little too metrics heavy. Again, I don't really know what the answer to it is. This is all, I think, an attempt to make things as accurate as possible, but it's just getting so convoluted, especially, you know, when you're nine games into the year, there's a full conference slate of basketball ahead of you for Wake Forest. Just, it's just hard. I'm sure to balance all the other responsibilities of being the head coach of a basketball team to worry about whether you're winning the game by 18 or 24 points, if that makes any sense. No, that I was actually literally about to say the same exact thing, Ben. I was like the fact that Steve Forbes, at the end of a game against NJIT, he has to worry whether he's beating that team by 24 or 16. Like I was on the same wavelength as you, that he's got to worry about things like that. He is adjusting well, I think. And that's big because I wake is, is always kind of the, in that tough spot. You, you know, the, the old adage, like little old wake forest. Uh, I think that's still, while it's being, I guess, dismantled, internally by the successes of Dave Clawson and Steve Forbes and other members of the athletic department. Like there's still probably that national perception a little bit. So I think Wake Forest is constantly trying to battle the narratives and battle the numbers. And so Steve Forbes is clearly cognizant of that. And I think that's just something that is going to be a conversation throughout the season. Like I'm going to keep looking at the numbers. Everyone's going to keep looking at the numbers. And I think Steve Forbes is going to keep looking at the numbers and know what this team has got to do to get the job done. As this season goes on, before hitting ACC play, two more quad four non-cons at home, Monday, December 18th against Delaware State, Thursday the 21st at home against Presbyterian, which recently took down Vanderbilt. An interesting note there. And of course, because we've been talking about the numbers, Kempom has both of these games being 19-point wins for Wake Forest. So, winning... Both of these by more than that margin. Again, it's Captain Net, not in Ken Palm, but for the efficiency's sakes, would be very big for Wake Forest. Again, continue to run up these games would be huge. And then things get real. Virginia Tech at home to open up ACC play on December 30th. Then the fun begins from there. Yeah, you know, you look at the, the two games ahead of Wake Forest. Again, you've already got these computer-generated perceptions of how the game should play out. So another another couple of games where you look for Wake Forest to you know start fast, stay fast, take care of business, things like that. But then, yeah, you know, Wake is in the midst of a very you know of an extended homestand right now, and I think to be able to start off conference play at home is going to be very helpful for this team. They've been in the rhythm of playing on their home gym, their home floor. They beat Virginia Tech at home last season. That was a very good game. Um, an important win, I think, for Wake Forest there. So, you know, it's it's starting to get exciting. It's starting to get real. Obviously, you know, Wake sort of made it through their, you know, their more on paper difficult portion of their non-conference schedule. Now you have what some would consider tune-up games. I know Steve Forbes is not considering these tune-up games. In fact, quite the opposite, as his remarks after NJIT would indicate. But, you know, as you move through these last couple of non-conference games just look look to to work out you know work out the issues play your brand of basketball i don't see any reason why wake can't win both of those games by you know 20 plus and sort of give themselves a metrics boost in that way but you know 
then yeah, I've, I'm I'm really excited for the start of conference play because I think this Wake Forest team, as they get healthier and healthier and more accustomed, I think they really have a chance to make some noise. And I think Virginia Tech is you know a good opportunity for them to to do that. Absolutely, little break for Wake Forest at least until Delaware State. Don't play until Monday. Until then, on the Boots on the Ground pod, we'll have, again, we've been talking about it, a football podcast breaking down the end of the season, the transfer portal, and, of course, talking about Wake's biggest addition thus far in the portal, quarterback Hank Bachmeyer. Thank you all for joining us on the Boots on the Ground pod. We'll be with you all soon. Alongside Ben Conroy, Ivan Essex there. Thanks for joining. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.